0: Have a good weekend?
1: Yeah, pretty good. It's awesome. Family went for a walk, nothing too crazy. How about you?
0: Yeah, good. We, um, what did we do on Saturday? I can't remember what we did on Saturday. Um, I had to buy a generator on Friday, so um, that took up my whole afternoon. So Saturday, I tested it out. That's what I did in the morning, and then my son had swimming, and then we took him. Out we took him somewhere. He ran around the whole day. What did he do? Huh. <laughs> Can't remember at all. Um and then yesterday we um oh we took him to uh there's an airport near us called Rand Airport, and we took him to watch the airplanes. And, to, and we had lunch there, and then he basically ran around, you know, for the for the whole the whole day and then we brought him home and he would you know, normal you know, to try and tire him out as much as possible. And then uh, Sunday we went to a friend of ours, they got a small holding uh, which is like a small farm, a very small farm, out uh, the other side of Joburg. So we were there yesterday. So, yeah, busy weekend. As always, with kids, it's always busy. you got to keep them busy, tie them out. So, so yeah. Other than that, it's been a manic Monday, just meetings after meetings after meetings.
1: Well, that's one way to start the week, I guess. Good meetings?
0: <laughs> um. Well, the, you know, the, the problem with working. Distributedly is that you you need to, you need time to collaborate about stuff. So so the best way to do it is to book a meeting to have them, to discuss the stuff. I find at least because if you just have ad hoc calls the whole time, you don't have time to think. And I've actually just got a message now from someone saying it's impossible to book in your diary. You've got all these meetings, and I'm like, yeah, because some of that stuff is block bookings, so that I can actually do work. Otherwise, I spend my whole day on the phone but you've got to be careful who you say that to because if it's your boss, then you've got to be a little more more um, respectful. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're currently going through, so we just finished revamping the mm-hmm. UI. Um, and now we're prioritizing all the, the components that we, we thought we would finish that we didn't finish um, against new stuff that's come up. Um, and what I've also been doing is we we haven't for a long time had a way to capture ideas uh, from people working, so I've now set up a thing in Notion that they can all use to capture things, which has been great because it, it gives us a structure. I did look at, at other tools, but everything's so complicated, um, mm-hmm. or you feel like you need to train everyone to use it, whereas you know, Notion is pretty simple. You know, Here's the link, go there, click new, type something. It's got a couple columns or properties to to categorise it, and um, you know we can use that straight away into a into a different status sort of board, and that uh, that keeps everything um, well. It, it's given us a bit more control we were kind of spinning our wheels for a bit. But while we were doing the UX revamp, we didn't need it, so we just kind of went with a, a Teams channel and people were just typing things in there. But the problem with the Teams channel after a while is you know you start losing track so you really need that to be a capture mechanism to go into some other system mm-hmm. um, which is what notion is filling the gap for and then from from notion we take it into to devops once we've once we've done the sort of discovery sessions to to understand what does one-liner, you know? Because sometimes we get like a sentence. You know, I want I want to be able to upload Excel spreadsheets. Okay, well, what does that actually, you know, what does that actually mean? Um, and then it turns out that actually they want to upload different formatted Excel spreadsheets uh, and have it intelligently figure out what the data is and insert it in the database, um, which is a little bit more complicated, clearly. So, so yeah, it's uh, been an interesting over.
1: And Notion, can you, is there anything you can add in to vote, you know, allow people to vote on different feature requests, or is that sort of a... No, that's,
0: the, that's yeah. not there. Um, I mean, what, what Notion is really good at is you've got freeform content that you want to bring a structure to, so you could put column headers and, and that sort of thing, and then you can create templates that say that if you... So let's go through the IT request system that we're using it for, um, when you click new, you've got choices, you can create a new bug report, a new IT request, a new feature template. And then in that, all of them have the same sort of columns or same properties, but then the section there's a section below which is freeform text, and you can actually put all the headings you want there. So in the case of a bug, you know, steps to reproduce, uh, screenshots, that sort of thing. Um, for a new feature request, uh, it'll be similar things like, why is this important? Um, any, any systems that do this already, we can copy or at least see how they do it. Um, mm-hmm. When it's an IT request, um, you know, you, you probably have, uh, in fact, there's nothing for that one. It's just the straight columns. Um, and then we use that as a work. It's a, it's a nice place to sort of have free form where you could put in, like someone asked me to create a whole bunch of email addresses. So I could put a table in. Here's the email address. Who's Here's who the recipients are. Does this allow internal, external email? All those sorts of things. Um, yeah, so, so go back to the template. So, so that gives us you know, quite a nice way to get, get the, um, the, the end users to, to provide the information. And then what we do is when we put it into the DevOps system, we take the URL that we get for the actual story and that goes back into Notion and that gives them a number. To say that okay, here's here's your story number. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're working on it straight away. It just means that we've put it in the backlog, and then as we go through the process of taking the story into um, into into a sprint and being worked on, we update Notion with that information. So that's that's kind of the the manual step to it. Um, but at least gives our our business visibility to what we're working on without them having to go into DevOps, which is a very complicated. I mean, I don't understand half the stuff and there's no way they can understand half the stuff. Um, so Notion gives us a nice simple view. It gives us a nice timeline. So we get you know, something, Yeah, I'm very, I'm very big on, on visibility of things. So they can see a timeline, all the epics where they are in the, in the sense of delivery. Um, and then they can work on that when it comes to like our marketing to customers, when it comes to planning internal things. Uh, and then we have a prioritization meeting where we talk about what's going to be Moved up and backwards, and we literally are dragging things backwards and forwards to schedule them. Um, and they can see the whole timeline um, in order of of precedence. Uh, and then that helps us to plan. Uh, and then you know, I had a meeting this morning where there was a couple of things that have come up out of meetings with with key customers that have now had to be as, pushed as, forward.
1: As they did. As they. Do.
0: <laughs> but it, but it's such a it's such a powerful conversation because you can actually say, well, if you want these two things. Which we don't even know how big they are. If I put them here, all these things get pushed out. So, what do you want us to do? And and then it's a oh, well, oof, actually, those other things are important too. But now they can see the impact of of when I say they, I mean the business can see the impact of making those changes. Um, from from our point of view, is from a tech point of view, we we're almost not fussed by the value per se. I mean, we, we obviously it's it's more the um. We, we need to be aware of it but we actually need to understand more about if there's inter- interdependencies to building something so for example one of the things that I'm hot on our guys at the moment is apis um, some of the functionality we need to deliver for these key important things relies on the APIs being built so that's almost the thankless job piece that no one cares about it's not sexy but in order to deliver the sexy feature we need the, we need the API um, so, so Notion is helping us, and it's rudimentary. I mean, it's not it's not perfect in the sense that if I put something ahead of something else, it automatically replans re- the whole thing. That would be ideal. It just moves everything down one line. You've got to sort of manually shift everything out. But uh, at least gives us that that view, which, which we didn't have for a while, and it was really frustrating because you just get a whole lot of requirements, and you know this from being in the software game. Um, and bear in mind, I was one of those people pushing... My my agenda on on things to be delivered, um, but you know you, people will say yes in isolation, but they're not realise that by doing that thing they affect a whole bunch of other things. Or you know product managers have things they have to deliver, um, yeah. and and that's important too. So,
1: do you want to chat about any of the links today?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Uh, let me get them up quickly. Do you want to start with the podcast first? Sure. So the podcast, there were there were a couple of things that, you know, it, so there were a couple of things. So, so one was it's 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 sort of regurgitated, to a large extent, what we've been saying for a while about because um, th- this was this was the um, interview. For, it was a Microsoft podcast with um, an interview of uh, Microsoft. Um, I don't want to say researcher per se. Um, so the guy that they spoke to, Steve Malanga. Steve Malanga, yes. We were. Which one were you we listening to? Was it the it's
1: forty-six? The geographic impact of remote work.
0: Oh yes, this, so Steve Malanga. He was the the the, the city um, editor, and what I was saying is that he regurgitated to me. There regurgitated a lot of stuff we were saying. In that, um, the real estate market would change. Where the companies would have, um, which I agree with, companies will, will have an HQ, but then they will have potentially more distributed offices or satellite offices, and they'll allow their employees to decide um, where they work. And this would drive a change in the cities, where you know your local communities would benefit from people being, you know, spending their time and money in those spaces. As opposed to commuting centrally, but they still commute centrally. I think for the for the HQ or the satellite office, um, a couple of days a week, which I, which I definitely agree with. And then the other part to which which uh, I agreed with was that um, the companies that have HQs, those HQs will become more collaborative. Um, not necessarily. I mean, you'll have you'll still have people that want to have an office because of of what their home situation could be, you know, um, and it'd be generational you know, people in up-and-coming jobs would want to be in offices because they live in probably in a small place. And then the older you get, you'd have probably more space, you'd have studies and and that, and you want to balance between the two. Um, So yeah, I thought it was quite a good talk in that sense. Um, And then I think the other piece that that they mentioned was how the companies needed to adjust for this, which um, I think that's a largely unknown. I mean, we all have ideas, but how it's going to actually play out in the future, who knows?
1: yeah and yeah we talked about some of this sort of the redistribution of where people live and work um because and and this this podcast was a very u s <coughs> centric take on things um because he's mm. the city uh he was a journalist um for city journal and he's yeah written for like you know new york business and l a times and um, a bunch of uh, U.S. publications, but mostly talking about major cities like L.A. and New York and places that have, you know, become hubs for uh, a lot of different industries. And yep. um, just sort of looking at how it's interesting the what what could happen as with the redistribution of people moving out of those hubs because they don't need to be there for their nine to five. Maybe they commute in a day or two a week. Um, They can move somewhere with a lower cost of living where they can have a bigger place. I mean, you look at, I don't know if you've ever sort of looked at what, um, I don't know what it would be, maybe like a thousand pound place in New York would get you (laughs) uh, for like an apartment. And, you know, there's apartments that are essentially like closets that don't even have a bathroom. Like if you are a young person starting off in a city like that, your living situation is probably going to be not yeah. ideal, um, which only makes it harder for the remote work. You know, and thinking about who who's really benefited from re- remote work versus who's not. I imagine those fleets of young folks living in sort of, non-ideal conditions in those major cities because that's what they can afford on their, you know, entry level salaries that working from home has not really been the uh, experience they envisioned versus if you're in a sort of more less urban city like I am, or like Austin, Texas, you know, there's a lot of cities that have um, are also hubs, but not as, Kind of like flashy city centers. So, some cities are starting to provide more incentives for people to move there. Whether it's just pure, you know, mm. come work here as a remote worker, and we'll hand you ten thousand dollars, and you know, with the assumption that you will be investing in our local economy. So yeah, I think it's it's just an interesting like it goes, um, especially the more entry level. Uh, workforce, the uh, more options for what to do in their, you know, in their early years versus only having to, you know, move into the city center. And um, I think people still want to do that. And they sort of touch on this as well, that there's still sort of cultural elements and like the zeitgeist of being in the city and the excitement of that isn't going to go away, but maybe cities will be Maybe it'll be a little bit less crowded, and real estate will be different. But yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, stuff we'd kind of been talking about—the whole digital nomad, um, redistributing where you live, kind of idea.
0: Yeah, and I forgot about the incentives actually, and that—that's also a um, uh, an interesting aspect because the I've seen it here, and I haven't seen it in the UK yet, but I've I've definitely seen it here where. Um, we have a problem with power, uh, as I mentioned, I have to go buy a generator on Friday, and there's an incentive there for people to come into the offices because, and, and this is an underlying incentive, it's not really advertised, because most offices will have a generator, and as long as you've got power, you can you can operate, uh, and things like, I mean, even in my house, um, you know, the fibre still works even though the power's off. But I've got to I've got to power the Wi-Fi router and I've got to power the the routers themselves. So there's an underlying incentive there to say if you want to work, you go sit in an office that's got a generator. But obviously those generators, those rooms, those offices are not ventilated. Um, so so that's one aspect to it. You've got to obviously now with COVID be aware of the, of, of ventilation and, and not be ventilated, which is fine in winter because the the house the things are you will have windows open. It won't be too cold. I mean today is twenty. 23 degrees and it's you know so whatever that's close to to 90 something degrees Fahrenheit Um, but I am seeing um, companies you know a few conversations where they're saying to their staff if you want to go work down at the coast um, Durban, Cape Town etc you know you're welcome to it and we'll give you an allowance to to provide to to set yourselves up um, provided it meets a certain criteria you know buying a desk should be X amount uh, buying you know putting Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff, getting fiber, that's all part of your allowance. Um, and then I'm seeing conversely that certain municipalities are also offering that, that incentive to say, you know, come set up your, your um, come work in, out of here, like Peter Marinsburg is, is an area that's very industrial. They're offering people to come work there as well instead of going all the way up to Durban, for example, so that they can increase the foot traffic. Um, now, the difference in distance between... You know, uh, Peter big and Durban is about half an hour's drive, so it's not a massive commute save. But for some people to save that half an hour, it's already it's, it's, a, it's another half an hour extra per day or t- extra hour per day that they can do other stuff in, which maybe work, may be personal stuff. And I'm seeing that as probably the value thing, is, is getting time back, whereas, you know, you're losing time with your commute and, and that's not part of your workday. Uh, it's considered part of your personal time uh, in a lot of uh, legal uh, well, at least my knowledge, a lot of legal things. So, so those things are interesting. It's 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 uh, true true nomadic um, behavioral changes.
1: It'll be interesting to see. I, I feel like there's kind of two possibilities for what folks will do, depending on how the flex work, remote work situation shakes out. I mean, if you still have to be in the office a couple of days a week, you can only move out so far. Um, yep. Even if you're willing to take a few-hour train ride in or whatnot. But if it is fully remote, that's when you move to a city. Like I think it was Tulsa that was mm. doing the ten thousand dollar incentives um, for remote workers to come live there. But you're doing that with the flexibility, knowing that you're not going to be commuting to an office any day out of the week. Maybe you, you know, show up once a quarter, or, you know, for once a year for a kickoff, uh, you know, event or something like that. But you're not, you know, you're separated from that. Mm. Um any corporate office space
0: no and, and that's it that's that's exactly it is is um trying to to keep the and, and that's something I think I was either in that podcast or was an article that the pay for the the pay to the employee was the same, regardless of where they were based. Um, they weren't penalized for going to a cheaper area, so they still got their income um, which kept them loyal and motivated um, but then they also benefited from having the lifestyle they wanted. Um, I can't remember where that came from, but I, but I I would see that because that was one of the things that I remember seeing in the very early days of the lockdown, or sorry, early early days of coming out of lockdown and people wanting to stay at home and things. That so, you know, if you work in London, there's a so-called twenty percent loading, um, that you twenty percent more money if you work in London, um, and they're going to take that away. But the reality is, those people, like anyone, you know, they've they've signed up for a job because it pays X and it delivers and they can do you know, X, Y, and Z, D, you know, at, at the company. So, you know, a key part of this is motivation of, of employees, which you want to keep your good ones and you want to keep them loyal so that they don't leave, um, which is something that I'm seeing now. I'm seeing, you know, in conversations with, with other sort of senior people that since the lockdowns are starting to open up, people are leaving because they were hanging on to their jobs because they were worried about losing their jobs. But now that there's an opening, um, the market's starting to get get going and people are getting, you know, off, you know, they're getting good opportunities, you know, more money, etc. But they're also getting that flexibility as part of the deal. That's the benefit. You know, you could still be remote or hybrid. And some companies, you know, the guys are saying that where the companies are saying you have to be back in the office, the people are leaving because they're saying, well, if I can go work somewhere else and have the flexibility, why would I want to stay here where I'm going to be rammed back into an office, back to the old slog, when we've seen that we don't need the old slog?
1: Yeah, I think leaders are sort of faced with that choice, you know, if you want to return to the traditional office, attrition is a greater risk. I think, you know, public opinion on all those polls really shows that. Um, And just the hotness of the job market, you know, people are able to find the opportunities. I think the pay change, I think that might have come up on the Economist podcast we chatted about Mm. the other week. You know, this that's maybe where that came from because, yeah, it, companies are considering, well, you know, people are, you know, do we pay people a salary that is based around where they are, not what we would pay them, you know, out of our, if they were in the expensive city where our headquarters is. And mm. I think on that they were saying, on the Economist podcast, they were saying, you know, that's maybe not such a great idea because, I mean, if people... Are still, if a different company will pay them a better rate and not ding them for living in a lower cost area, then you're not really creating a lot of loyalty there. So, you know, you're setting yourself up potentially for attrition. And yeah, I think there were maybe some other points they touched on there as to why you might want to not jump so quickly to, well, we can just kind of like adjust pay levels to the city where people live
0: and I think that's one of the challenges is that the um, sort of mentality challenges is, if you, if you are cutting back on your, your office rental, okay, obviously you've got leases to to deal with. While you've got those leases, you wanna make use of them, otherwise it's a bad investment. Um, but necessarily putting people in there is not necessarily gonna get the best investment because if you you know, it's just a building, but if the people that are doing the work leave that, that are your, your core, then you've, you're just left with the building. But in the same token, if you can cut the lease and you can generate the revenue, because you're not spending that money on, a, on an unnecessary lease, then you got the money to pay the people the salaries that that yeah. they that they should have.
1: All right. Well, I will chat with you. Go um, cool. Wednesday, I think. Okay.
0: Yeah. Super. Thanks, A. Bye. Cheers, Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter, at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.